And I'm excited about what God has for us this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1. So open your Bibles up to 1 Peter 1. And we're speaking about living out your salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1. It is good to see each one of you. And some of you that are joining us by live stream, we miss you. Uh, and we'll look forward to seeing you, Lord willing, in the future. But it's good to see more and more people able to come back and gather with us at social distance and uh, following the guidelines. But we'll have some announcements at the very end of the service about that. So some future things going on. First Peter chapter 1. The Bible records in Exodus the encounter that Moses had with God. Moses at that time was a grubby shepherd. And he was there in the dusty bowl of the Middle East. And he was a dirt of the earth kind of guy. He worked with sheep. He worked on the side of a mountain. He worked in a valley. And and this guy knew what it was like to be clean. Because he grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh. And he knew what it was like to be dirty. Because he was out in the wilderness. And one day when he was on the mountain of God, he was with his sheep and he saw a sight that he had never seen before. He saw a bush that was on fire. And the, the light that emanated from that bush was different. It was unique. It was a glorious sight. It was the glory of God. And the fire did not, the fire and the light did not scorch that that bush, but yet it still burned. And there was a a glorious person in that fire. And as Moses drew near, this voice called out a warning and said, don't come near. Stand back. Take off your sandals for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And the next words he said, he says, I am the God of your fathers. I'm God. So what Moses encountered there was this manifestation of God as this light. And he recognized from the voice of God, as he viewed this light, that God was holy. In fact, the response that Moses had to this was, the Bible says, Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look on God. Today we're we're talking about the holiness of God. And there Moses encountered, and really just a glimpse, and probably just in a, in a shadow in some sense of God's, of God's holiness. He viewed the purity and the brightness of the glory and the holiness of God. Now, he didn't actually, wasn't able to actually look at God. Bible says, in fact, God said to him later on in Exodus, Exodus 33, that if you were to actually see me, you could not survive it because his holiness is so pure and so powerful and so different. So Moses was able to have this glimpse of the holiness of God. It's interesting how the Bible describes holiness and even portrays holiness as as a light. I think about the sun, which is the brightest light that we have, right, in our, in our uh, galaxy here. And the sun is really a good description, or good illustration, I should say, a good illustration of holiness. Last year, my family went to a science center, and we got to see through a, a, a telescope the sun. It was pretty cool. 
Now, we didn't look directly at the sun, what we did through the telescope, but there were lenses, there were dense filters, and if we would have looked directly at the sun, we would have burnt our eyes, right? The sun is a very dangerous thing to look at. It's a very dangerous thing to be near. You have to be protected from the sun. It's very dangerous, but actually it's the same, the the sun that is dangerous to us is the same sun that gives us life. So the same sun that causes danger is the same sun that actually causes us to be able to live. It's a source of our life. And and it's actually a very similar way God's holiness. God's holiness is very destructive, right? It actually can destroy us because we're sinners. We're so different from God. But actually, God's holiness is also the source of our spiritual life. So today we're studying the holiness of God. We're talking about how do you live out your salvation? Last week we saw in verse 13, the first command of our of five commands that we're looking at over the next couple of weeks. We saw that you should set your hope in view of God's future grace. The next command we're going to see is actually in verses, uh, verse 15. We're going to look at verse 14 through 16. So after Peter talks about these inward hopes that we should have, our mind and our hopes being transformed by the, by the grace of God, he goes next to our conduct. So we see in verse 13, it talks about our inner person. Then verses 14 through 16, you see he talks about our, our conduct. And the command here in this verse, or these verses, is that we should pursue holiness, we should be holy in view of God's holiness. So we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at the next couple of commands. Now, I do have a small announcement before I forget. And next week, uh, Carl is going to be preaching for us. So that'll be fun. So we'll take a break one week, and then we'll come back right into it. But I think it's going to be a good time next week. So we're going to look in 1 Peter chapter number 1. We're going to read in verses 14 through 16. Just because you've been sitting a lot, I'm just going to go ahead and have you stand again, okay? It's only three verses, but it kind of gets your legs moving, your, your blood pumping there, wakes you up. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your spirit to bless our service and the teaching and preaching of your word this morning. I pray that you will clearly speak through your word to our hearts and may May the holiness that is portrayed through the Holy Scriptures, may the holiness of God condemn us, but also give us hope in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May it give us the life that you promised to provide. So God, I pray that this will be a life-giving service through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In verses 14 through 16, we see a number of different verbs, but the main verb the only imperative is actually found in verse 15. It's the verb to be holy. It's the only command we see here in these three verses, and that is that we are commanded to be holy in view of God's holiness. You should pursue holiness in view of God's holiness. And that's really the key idea I want you to take from this sermon here this morning. If you don't get anything else, 
Get that right there. That is, you should understand God's holiness, and that should compel you, therefore, to be holy. What is holiness? Holiness. What is holiness? I'm not talking about the holes in your pants and your socks. I'm talking about the H-O-L-Y, holy. Like, what is that? You know, it's a hard word to define. I looked in a lot of different systematic theologies and a lot of different books and tried to to figure out what what do people, how do they define holiness? And there's a lot of Bible words and definitions that are pretty close to each other. You know, people kind of plagiarize off each other a little bit. This one's a really hard one to define. The holiness of God is very difficult to to, uh, have a, a set definition for. But I think it's because this is a word that describes who God is. And it's hard to describe who God is because God, in some sense, is indescribable. God is completely separate and different from anything that we can imagine or fathom. Being able to comprehend who God is is impossible. We are, we are finite creatures. We, we cannot imagine something that is infinite. I mean, think about us. We are, we are limited. We're bound by time. We're bound by space. We're made of matter. We are bound in our knowledge even. We're trying to understand a being who is infinite, that has no boundaries, who's all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, and self-existent. How do you describe that kind of being? How do you understand that kind of being? Well, the word the Bible uses to help us try to comprehend something about God is the word there, holy. It's holy. I think trying to explain God is kind of like trying to explain calculus to a two-year-old. And that's probably even not a good way to illustrate it, right? You can probably teach a couple concepts like one plus one, but you're going to have a hard time getting beyond that. And that's, that's the same way when we try to, try to understand who is God. Like, what is he? It's like we are trying to understand something that we can never fully comprehend as mere humans. But, but in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament, God uses a word And really, it is the key word that describes him, and it's the word holy. And the word holy in the Old Testament, New Testament, in Hebrew and Greek, basically means to separate, to set apart. There's a negative side where where you're separating from something, and there's a positive side where you're separating unto something, or you're consecrating unto something. And we, we we know the idea of separate, separation, when I was growing up, I uh, collected baseball cards. Anyone collect baseball cards in here growing up? Oh, there's a couple people. Or how about your kids collect baseball cards? Okay, there you go. You can tell how old people are in this room by that, I guess. But, you know, if you got a really good card, like you, you sanctified that card, if you could say. You made a whole. You set it apart, right? If you, if you had a, a Ken Griffey Jr., like what would you do with that card? Well, you'd keep it out of the hands, the grubby hands of your brothers and sisters, you wouldn't let your friends touch it, so you'd separate it from them. You'd make sure it didn't collect dust somewhere and get dirty. And then you would separate it unto something. Maybe you put it in a plastic holder, you know, and you'd keep it somewhere. And maybe it's still in your parents' attic. You think it's going to be worth something someday. Got news for you. It's probably worth about the same amount of money. Maybe less, right? So, you know, we have things in our society that we, we may have as sacred or we set aside. Or I think about even... The Gettysburg Address, uh, Abraham Lincoln, he declared 
the battlefield of Gettysburg there, he declared to be hollowed ground or holy ground. In other words, this is going to be now set apart and really this kind of sacred, unique area that we're going to use to remember what happened on this site. So holy has this idea we're separated from something and separated unto something else. So, so God is holy. He's set apart from everything that's unlike him. So that includes imperfection. That includes sin. That includes all of creation. He's not a created being. Like he is, was, and is to come. Like he's, he's eternal. It separates him. He's separate from, I should say this way, he's separate from everything else everything other than himself. And he's set apart unto himself in a unique, perfect, distinct, as a unique, perfect, distinct being. Now, did that make sense to you? Well, if it completely makes sense to you, then I probably didn't do a very good job in explaining it. Because that's God. So this is kind of the idea here of the word here, that it's, it's completely unique and separate from anything that you could really, really completely, fully fathom and comprehend. And so when you see the holiness of God in the scriptures, you see it describing the nature of God, and you see it describing the works of God. So it's who he is, and it's what he does. And so that's, if you want to say like the simple definition for most of us in this world, that's the definition right there. God is set apart from everything in who he is and what he does. So there you go. That's very simple. Now some of you say, well, I want a more complex definition, so I came up with another one. And that is this one right here. And that is, this is the holiness of God. It's that God's nature is unique and supremely majestic. It's unique and supremely majestic. And God's decrees, that's his actions, his works. God's decrees are exclusively perfect and right in every way. And again, you're not going to find that in a commentary or a, commentary or a theological dictionary, or whatever. Everyone has a different way they come about it. But that's, that's the idea. It's like, Kind of blows your mind there. And so look it down in verse 15. Here you can see Peter twice describes God as holy. Verse 15, he says, But as he who called you is holy, or the Holy One is holy. So be holy. In verse 16, he says, It's written, Be holy, for I, God, am holy. And in, in the scriptures, the primary attribute of God we see is the holiness of God. Again, when Moses comes and he sees this bush, what, how does God describe himself? He says, get away because you're on holy ground. There's something different about me. Uh, this morning, Justin read in Isaiah, and there Isaiah is standing before the holy Yahweh God in the temple. The glory fills the room there. The seraphims have six wings and they're covering everything because God's holiness is shining forth. And so what was the way these seraphims describe God? They said, holy, right? Not just holy, but what? Holy, holy, holy. In fact, if you look at the end of the book of Revelation in in verse uh, chapter four, actually, I think I have these up here. There we go. There's Isaiah. There's Revelation. At the very end, it says, all people gather around Jesus Christ, and they cry out and worship, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And actually, these are the angelic beings that are crying this out right here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. 
So what you see, when, when people see God, when these angelic beings, when they understand who God is, they see this holiness, they recognize, or I should say they recognize this holiness, this, this set-apartness that God is. And you can see the, re, the, the repetition of these words, holy, holy, holy. And one of the, one, what's happening there is actually God is emphasizing that not just that he's holy, but this is something that is, that is true, and this is something that is as, of most importance. And so in Jewish writing, when someone wanted to emphasize something, they would repeat it. So Jesus taught, and what did he say? He said, truly, truly, I say to you. So he's repeating something. He's saying, this, I got something super important to say. And so when you see something like this, when you see it repeated three times, it's like this is of utmost, of the highest possible importance. Now, when I want to emphasize something, if I write an email or a letter to someone, Usually email, not letters. But I will maybe bold something. Maybe I'll underline something. Maybe I'll highlight something. Maybe I'll italicize something. Has anyone ever written an email or something and you, you highlighted, bolded, italicized, and you capital, all capsed it? You ever done that? Okay. Has anyone ever seen my emails that have done that? <laughs> and if you do that, what are you saying? You're like, this is super important, right? And that's what you see from these, if you want to say these angelic beings here. It's like, this is super important. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the scriptures, you never see God described as love, love, love. You never see God described as good, 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 but you do see him described as holy, holy, holy. And the repetition of those words represents that God is one holy being, but also three holy beings. That's when we sing holy, 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 that song. You recognize the Trinity in there because that's what actually... The, the trice, the three um, times of the, the three attributes of holiness there describe the three holy persons of God. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Ben, you're spending a lot of time talking about God's holiness. Why, why are we spending so much time on God's holiness? Well, in order for you to be holy like God is holy, you have to understand that God is holy. You have to understand what that means. And what I really want from us in here is I really want us, in some sense, to have this, our minds kind of blown away by the reality of the holiness of God, of who God is. God's holiness means that he is described as set apart. But actually, do you realize that the holiness of God, the, the word holy, actually is his name? It's a name for God. Think about this passage in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One. So his name is Holy One, or literally what it says in that text there, it's holy, the knowledge of holy. That's his name. In fact, even didn't Mary say that when she sang her song? She says, for he who is mighty has done great things and holy is his name. So when we think about God, we think, that, we think about him in this context that he is described as holy, but actually by his very fundamental nature, he is holy. In fact, holiness governs all of his other attributes. Think about that. The holiness of God governs all of his other attributes. So you think about just God's nature, his essence. So like, let's take, for instance, one, that God is self-existing, that he is eternal. So think about that. God always has been, God is, he always will be. Now, are you getting that in your mind? God always has been, he is, and he always will be. That is completely unlike anything else in this whole world. 
everything was created. You were created. Everything we see was created by God. It's not self-existing. It's not eternal in the fact that it's never had a beginning. Everything had a beginning. So God uniquely exists outside of his creation, and he's able to be known by us, but he actually exists eternally. He's self-existing. He's unchanging. So God never grows in knowledge. He never grows in any other way. He never has more or less. He just is. And that's unlike everything else. Everything else changes in some way, but not God. God is, is self-sufficient. Think about our world. Everything's interdependent, right? Everything kind of needs something else. You need something else in order to survive. Everything else needs something else in order to survive. But God doesn't. He's set apart. He's holy. He's unique in that way. God is infinite. He is limitless. And so you just think about all these, these attributes of God, all these characteristics of his nature, and he, what governs all those is his holiness. In fact, even when you think about the works of God, and the attributes that really describe his works, like, for instance, that God is, God is good. God is not just good, but God is perfectly good. In other words, there's never, ever been a thought, a word, or action, anything where God has not done something that's good. God is good, the Bible says. He does good. God is just, which means this. God is not just just. He's wholly just, which means God will punish every sin, and he will punish it with the right punishment. And you can be guaranteed, because he's holy, he's going to punish that sin. Which should actually scare us, right? Because we sin against God all the time. So we deserve God's perfect, holy justice. But also God is love. And it's not just love, he's holy love, which means God shows compassion in a perfect way. His care is direct directed to us in the most sacrificial and purest of all mercies. And his love and his justice work together. God's justice means everything must be punished that is wrong, but his love satisfies that justice in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So you, so you see how all these work together. In fact, the last one I point out to you, I guess I don't have that one up there. last one I point out to you is Psalm 89:35. So, oh, I do have it up there, actually. Here it is, right here. God's faithfulness. And so God even shows this here in Psalm. He says, once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. So how do we know that God will keep his word? Because he's holy. So, so you kind of get the point here. All the attributes of God find their, their perfection in God's holiness. So therefore, when we think about God, what we should think about, yes, we should think he's love and justice, but we recognize, God, you are completely different from everything else. You are unique. There's a, there's a transcendence to you that is beyond my comprehension. And then we think about what God has revealed to us about himself. We recognize that God wants us to be holy like he is holy. And so you can see that in verse 15. That's his main command there. We are to be holy in all of our conduct. So in all of God's attributes, in all of his nature, he is holy. And he calls us in all of our conduct, conduct to be holy. Now, let's first say this doesn't mean that God wants you to be a little God someday, or he wants you to be self-existent. It's not possible for you to be that, okay? So this is not a call for you to try to, as some other religions teach, it's like you're going to become like God in that sense. You're going to become a God. No, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about you're going to be set apart to be self-existent or omniscient. That's not it, right? 
You're going to be set apart like he's set apart in purity and in righteousness. So it doesn't mean that you become like a little God. It means that all of your conduct, means all your thoughts and your decisions and your action, your entire person are set apart, are consecrated over to the Lord. Which means this, that your entire life is different from everyone else's life in this world. Right? If you're a mom, you're not just a mom, you're a set-apart mom. Like You're a holy mom. If you're a dad, you're not just a dad, you're a set-apart dad. If you're a child or a teenager, you're not just a child or a teenager like everyone else in this world. If you're a Christian, you are set-apart unto the Lord. If you're an employee or you're a boss, you're, you're not just an employee or a boss. You're, your work is consecrated to God because you are set apart unto God. Right, one of the names we find in the scriptures that God uses of us is the word saints. And that word has kind of been messed up by the Catholic Church and some other different churches. You know, people now think of saints as dead people who did miracles once you can pray to. But that's not in the Bible, okay? So that's something that's been taught, unfortunately, the actual idea of the word saints is holy ones. The Bible actually teaches that we are all holy ones, those who are in Jesus Christ, that is. We're all holy ones. In other words, God has sanctified us. He's set us apart unto himself. So what does that look like in real life? Like I say, be holy, and what do you think about? Maybe you think of this monk that walks around and goes, oh, you know, maybe you think of that. Maybe you think of people who live in Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere and they wear all black clothes. They don't have any buttons or whatever. I don't know what their restrictions are, zippers and things like that, you know. So like maybe you think of all these people that have these different rules and stuff. Well, what, what it actually is it? Well, let me say what it's not. First of all, holiness and you being holy does not mean that you're a weirdo. It's not like you're a, a nerd that wears, you know, like the, what do you, what do you call those things that you... Yeah, pocket protector. There you go. I acted like I didn't know what it was. That way you didn't think I would know. But it's not like you're a weirdo. I mean, if, if you don't take a shower for two months, you might be separated from everybody else. But it's because you're uncleanness, right? It's because you smell, not because you're set apart unto God. Holiness is not just doing things. It's not just having a set of rules that you follow that make you different. Like you could set up all these rules. It could make you different than everybody else. And you can set aside yourself, consecrate yourself unto yourself, but that's not holiness according to the Bible, right? That's what the Pharisees did. They had all their rules, and they set them aside themselves in pride to follow their rules. So it's not, it's not setting yourself aside and following all these rules that someone else makes, or maybe you make in and, and pride. Just, it's not just being different because you follow these rules. Holiness is not just external customs you adopt, like styles of clothing, Right? Too many times, I think, in our history, like I said, the people that are Amish, that's a good example of a, of a group that does that. They, they set aside these, they have, um, they tie holiness to this idea that you wear something, you know. Maybe you, maybe you look like you grew up in the 1800s. You look like Laura Ingalls Wilder, so that, you know, that means you're a holy person. Or, or even, like, and let me just say this too, even the idea that if you dress up more or you dress a certain way, maybe you're more of a holy person. And actually, we're not going to go there, but 1 Peter 3, 3 addresses that. So if you actually present holiness as something that is external in that way, then you actually have the wrong idea of what holiness is. So you're like, okay, Pastor Ben, get to the point. <laughs> what is holiness? What does it look like? Well, look down in verse 13 real quick. I want to remind you of something, and that is last week we said the main verb in that verse was to set your hope in God, the main imperative. And then we said there was two participles that described what that looked like. 
The same thing happens in verses 14 and 15. In verse 15, the main imperative is, you shall be holy. And there are two participles, particularly one in verse 14, that says this is how that can be true. This is how you can be holy. So how can you be holy? So let me give you two ways the Bible tells us that we can be holy. How can you be holy? Be who you are made to be. Be who you are made to be. And what were you made to be by God? To be an obedient child. God adopted you in his family. He transformed your life. And he made you to be a child that was an obedient child. An obedient child, not a passion-driven child. An obedient child, not a passion-driven child. And that's what you see here in this verse right here. As obedient children, not do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Listen to this. Obedience to God does not make you holy. Obedience to God does not make you holy. God makes you holy. Like, if you were to go live in your garage, that does not make you a car. We actually, our room we sleep in was a garage at one time. I have not turned into a car yet, right? Just because you live in a garage doesn't mean you turn into a car, right? In the same way, just because, just because you try to live a holy life, try to live an obedient life, doesn't make you holy. God is the one who makes you holy. Obedience doesn't make you holy. God makes you holy. He makes you a holy child. And from the, the holiness that God has given to you, therefore you obey. Or you could say it like this. What it looks like for you to be holy is this, that you live a life of obedience in every area of your life. God has made you holy so that you would be obedient. And so you could maybe even say it simpler. Holiness means that you obey God. That you make choices in your life not based upon your passions of your lusts, but based upon obedience to the Lord. Simply put, that is what verse 14 is calling us to do. And Peter paints this picture of what holiness looks like, and he does so with this contrast between obedience to a father versus conformity to our own sinful passions. And by nature, each one of us, we come to this world with a sinful nature. We're all dead, as the Bible says in Ephesians 2, and our trespasses and sins, we follow their own, our own sinful hearts and our own desires and the desires of this world. But then... By God's grace and his mercy, he rescues us when we turn in faith to him. He rescues us and he changes our nature. He changes us to be a new creature, one who was a sinner to one who is now a holy child of God. And he sets us apart unto himself. In fact, what's really neat to see is you can see that throughout this uh, chapter one. So look back in verse number two. I love doing this because it kind of ties everything together. It's really neat how this how this looks in this passage. So look at verse two. Here you have God the Father. He elects us, or you could say it this way. He chooses to set us apart. So you can see even in his choice, it's election. And as an election, you can see the holiness of God. He chooses to set us apart. Then you see in verse two, the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. You know what that word is, or you could say what the root word is in Greek? It's the same one for holy in verses 15 and 16. It's hagios. So the Holy Spirit, he makes us holy. He changes our nature to be holy like the Father. And then what's the whole point? Look at verse 2. For obedience to Jesus Christ. So you can see 
Holiness and obedience are connected together. God makes you holy so you will obey Jesus Christ. And when did God apply that work to you? Look at verse 4. God the Father caused you to be born again. He set you apart into his family, as a part of his family, I should say. And then you can see in the next verse, he gives us an inheritance. So there's a, a setting apart of our, of our future where we have a holy future, a holy inheritance. Then we'll skip down to verse 14. You can see that we're children of God, the passage we're looking at today. Look at verse 17. We call to him as our, as our father. Remember how we call unto him as our father? Our father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And then look down at verse 22. This is really interesting. We have brothers and sisters because we're a part of this family. And how do we treat our brothers and sisters? We love one another and we do so with a purified heart by our obedience. So here, and actually interesting, this word purified, guess what the same root word is for purified? Hagias, totally. So here you, again, you see holiness and obedience coming together and connecting together. And so I, I think you have to conclude, as you look at this text, you have to conclude what does holiness looks like, look like? It looks like you being who God made you to be, and that is God made you to be a holy child who lives an obedient life. So look at verse 14. He says, as obedient children, and then he transition or he contrasts that, not being conformed to the passions. Is, is a child by nature obedient? No, a child is not obedient. No parent in their right mind would ever say that children by nature make wise decisions. If you go to the store with a kid, with some children, and you're pushing the cart along, you might go home and find out in your cart there were some things thrown in there by kids. You ever had that happen to you, parents, grandparents? You ever had that happen? So you're, maybe when your kids were smaller, you, maybe you're at the checkout and you go, there's a candy bar in here. How'd that get in here? Or who put the marshmallows in here? Or maybe you get home and you go, how did that get by me, right? And what you see is if, if children were to follow their own passions, which they generally do, then life doesn't really turn out the best. So our job as parents is not to teach them to do whatever you want to do, right? However you feel, that's how you should live. No, we're saying, like, you need to make wise choices, therefore we give them wise instructions, and therefore we say you should obey, right? Obedience, the idea of obedience is that we're trying to teach you to make wise choices. And so you see that contrast here that he has here. He's saying, as obedient children, not following, not being conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I mean, if you think about a child, just in the essence of who a child is, especially the smallest, smaller they are, they're just one big ball of passion, right? Some kids are a little bit bigger balls of passion than other kids, but, you know, but, you know, if you're really happy and you're two years old, you're really happy, right? If you're really angry, you're really angry. You can't really hide it when you're two years old or, or maybe even three or four. The idea is, is that children by nature, they, do their, they follow their own passions. There's an ignorance that's in that as well. But God actually wants us to live intentionally an intentional, obedient life. So he says in verse 14, don't follow the, the passions, or this is kind of the idea of your sinful desires of your former ignorance when you, before you were a believer. God has set you apart, and therefore you're to live a different life. You're not to follow those desires of your former life. You're to follow the desires of God in his word. Follow his will. Now, we all still, even though we've 
been made holy by God. We still have these sinful passions in our hearts. We can all be drawn back and tempted back to follow those passions, right? That's, that's not been eradicated yet. You haven't been completely transformed to be like Christ. That will happen someday. So that's the warning he gives here. Don't follow your heart. Well, where, where do you see these sinful passions at? Well, they're within you and they're around you. They're within you and they're around you. So we still have these temptations in our heart to be angry, to be bitter, to follow addiction. But we also see these passions around us. In fact, another interesting passage that um, we find where we find this word conformed is actually in Romans 12, 1 and 2. In fact, this is the two places this word is found in the New Testament here. And so in, in 1 Peter, he's saying, by God's mercy, don't be conformed to your sinful passions. Interesting enough, Paul writes and does a very similar thing. He says, by God's mercy, present your life holy to the Lord. This is your reasonable worship. And what does that look like? What does it look like to have a holy life before the Lord? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the idea that the idea of world is the idea of, of a culture. We all live within the context of a culture and subcultures. It's all around us. And just a quick definition of a culture is just, it's the idea that, that there are characteristics and practices and customs within our society that are shared values and goals and desired outcomes. So we see that. Like in our, and it's a little difficult in our society because we have cultures, we have subcultures, so we're, we're, a, or a, we're a mixed society. And so it can be difficult sometimes to discern, like, what, what, is, what is the world's way and what is God's way? And that's why I think he says up here, don't be conformed to this, the, the, the culture and their values, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, so by nature, the, the culture is conforming us to fit their mold. And God says here, no, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means this. It speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit to change your inner person, to change your thoughts through the word of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to change your inner person through the word of God. So there are, there are values that we have as Christians because God's word and God values this, and it just causes us to live differently than them. We are in some sense set apart. So we have a Sunday here. And many people think of Sundays, now with COVID, it kind of changes some things, but many people think of Sundays as me day. You know, it's the day I watch sports. That's not happening now, but we watch sports. We kind of relax. It's the day when our, everyone gets together. But actually, the Lord calls this day the Lord's day. It's actually a holy day. We set it aside unto the Lord. I think we can look at our world and... I think those who are older than even me, but even myself, as you kind of look and you ask yourself the question, why, why are so many young people just swept away with our culture's um, values and ideas? Have you thought that? Like, why are so many young people swept away by our cultures? And I think it comes back to this idea here in Romans chapter 12. People naturally are conformed to the values of the culture that's around them. The culture and our own passions to mold us and fashion us to, to follow what our sinful hearts desire. And the only thing that can combat that, like only thing that can combat that is, is the transformation of the word of God, our minds being transformed by the word of God. So I think, honestly, when I diagnose what's going on in our society, I see a society who's following their passions. If they're mad about something, 
They're just going to do whatever their heart wants to do, even if it doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm not going to go to some things to think about, but just think about what's happening in the news. Some things that are happening, it's crazy. Like, it doesn't make sense. How is this actually going to be a good outcome for you? It doesn't matter. Just do whatever your heart feels. You know, don't worry about the results. We'll just carried away by our own passions. But actually, when we're transformed by the word of God, we have different values. We have different, we have different ways of living. We're transformed. I think one of the clearest examples of this, though, is probably in the line of, of sexual purity and holiness. Would you do something? Would you turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? I think probably the clearest distinction in our society between the holy ways of the Lord and the ways of this world, the transformation of a person to be like Christ and the conformity to the ways of the world are found really in this passage right here and probably are most prevalent in our society today. Every TV show, even children's shows now, every movie, most people in our society preach that you should have the freedom to choose to do whatever you want to do with your body. Now, the idea is, Follow your passions. If you want to be, if you're a girl and you want to be with a girl, do it. If you're a guy and you want to be with a guy, do it. Just follow whatever your heart wants to do. If you want to have a one-night stand, it's okay. You can do that. There's not any consequences. And and, and the truth is, the more our society drifts away from Judeo-Christian values and from the more people that uh, drift away from following the principles of God's word, the more our society recognizes us as weird and oddballs. And not because we don't take showers, right? But it's because we follow the truths of God's word. The the idea that God wants only intimate physical enjoyment to be between two people that are married, a man and a woman for life, is, is weird in our society. In fact, not just weird, but actually should be condemned by many people and their ideas and their thoughts. And mocked. And we call marriage holy matrimony. Why do we call it holy matrimony? It is an institution that God has set aside as a special, as a special union between a man and a woman. And the physical enjoyment of the sexual union should only take place in that. That is God's idea. That's not Pastor Ben's idea. That's not Lighthouse's idea. That's actually God's idea. And you see it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Remember when Dane and I were dating, we decided we were, before we were dating, we decided we were only going to date for the purpose of marrying someone. So we might date and find out we're not going to marry that person, but if we're going to date, that's the intention. And then we, when we started dating, we sat down and we said, okay, let's set up guidelines for certain things we are going to do and certain things we're not going to do while we're in our dating relationship. And so some things we're going to do, we're going to read the Bible after we have a date. We're going to have fun, but we'll have of uh, a scripture time, we're going to pray together, we're going to memorize some scripture, and things we're not going to do is we're not going to touch in certain ways and do certain things. So that's what we set up. And honestly, you would think that we were doing something awful when people would find out or someone would ask a question and be like, oh, what's wrong with you? And I'm not talking about people of the world. I'm talking about Christians. You know, it's like I'm in a, I'm in a Bible college and I'm talking to people and, and you see what other people are doing and you see what you're doing and you're like, I'm, we're the only people. And, and what really convinced me, though, that this is what God wants for us was really this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4. And notice this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4. Notice the reason why God wants you to be, to save the physical intimacy to, for marriage and consecrate it in that. 
He says in verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. So what does that look like? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one knows how to control his own body and holiness. Notice how many times you see the word holy, sanctification, same idea, and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles do not know God. So the Gentiles, they just do whatever their heart wants to do. So they say, oh, we can do this, I can do that, I can do whatever I want with my body. It's my body. God says, nope, it's not yours, it's actually God's. Verse 6, and that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And I just want you to look at that. No one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. There's, there's a line that you can cross, and it's actually a very serious line. And if you're uh, in a dating relationship, or you're hoping to be, you need to recognize there's actually a line you can cross. You can transgress your brother or your sister, because Lord willing, if you date, you're dating a Christian in a matter. It says, and look at the rest of that verse, because the Lord is the avenger in such things. Your mama might not find out. Your daddy might not find out. Even if he has a shotgun, he might not find out. But listen, God knows. God knows, and he's the avenger, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. So the reason, the reason why you should commit your body and your life to one other person, and, and if you want to say it this way, save yourself for that person. If you're not married, and if you're married, stay committed to that person, is because of holiness. You are set aside as a holy person. Marriage is set aside as God's institution. And I, I really want to call the youth in here, those who are maybe young and you're like, dating is gross and it's a long way away. <laughs> those of you who are like, I hope I can be dating soon. And some who are praying that someone will bring someone across your path. I really want to encourage you right here to think about this. That is that media is trying to conform your mind to follow your own sinful heart and passions. But you are a child set aside by God. And I want you to, in your mind, to ask the Lord, or I should say to commit to the Lord, your body, your mind, and your relationships as holy. We should, we should, as God wants us to, set aside those relationships, our body, as holy unto the Lord. It's easy to follow our own passions, isn't it? If you're in a dating relationship and you don't think about what you're going to do in that dating relationship, and you get in a car by yourself somewhere, it's pretty easy to follow your own passions. It's really hard to live as an obedient child. That's where we need the Holy Spirit's power. And so you can see here, he says, how to be holy. Well, it means that you live as an obedient child. You, you are who, you, who God made you to be. And then the last point here is be what you were called to be. And that is to be like Christ. So you can see that in verse 15. As he who called you is holy, so also be holy. Be like the one who called you to be holy. Now, I want you to think back through those different illustrations I gave at the beginning of my sermon. Think about Moses. Do you know who it was that Moses saw in that burning bush? Well, you know what Jesus said in John chapter 8? That was him. Do you know the holy one that Moses was able to get a glimpse of was Jesus Christ pre-incarnate? Jesus says, Behold, before Abraham was, I am. To God revealed himself, Jesus revealed himself to be. Do you realize that Isaiah, the, the God that he was looking on and viewing was Jesus Christ himself? The Bible says in John 12, 14, Isaiah said this, Jesus was saying this because or so the Bible said this because 
he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. When Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus Christ, the holiness of Jesus, what did he say? Woe is me, I'm a sinful man. I deserve condemnation. And do you realize the very end, Revelation, when everyone worships Jesus, the holy God, they're worshiping Jesus. And the point is this, Jesus is the holy God. And his holiness means this. His holiness means that you deserve to be punished for your sin. And his holiness means you will be. You will be. But his holiness also is the same holiness that provides holiness for you and cleansing from your sin. So the same holiness that condemns is also the same holiness that is available to you to cleanse. Isn't that amazing to think about? I think about a knife, and a knife can do One of two things. It can kill someone or it can save someone, right? So a doctor can uh, use it to save someone, a scalpel, and someone might use it to defend themselves. Maybe there's a person that's out and they're trapping animals, right? And so they trap maybe a coyote and and so they have this little uh, trap where maybe the animal sticks his head through and it it ties him off. And the the, uh, hunter can have a choice, either take his knife and cut the animal free or the to take the animal and kill it. So the point is this. It's like a, like a knife can do both save and it can both, it can both uh, kill. God's holiness can both condemn and it will condemn and it can both, but it can also, it can cleanse. And so I guess my point of that is this. If you're in here and without Christ, I want you to recognize, first of all, that God's holiness condemns you. When you stand before God, like immediately you'll recognize how sinful you are and you deserve eternal punishment. But if now, while you're alive, if you receive Jesus Christ, he imparts to you his holiness. So therefore, when you stand before God, yes, you'll recognize you deserve judgment, but also you'll recognize that God has given you the holiness of Jesus Christ. The holiness of Jesus touched Moses and By faith, Moses was a leader who was cleansed. But the holiness of God touched Isaiah. Remember the hot coal went to his mouth and it touched his mouth and it cleansed him. The holiness of Jesus can cleanse you. And So how can you be cleansed? How can you have the holiness of God? To believe, repent, turn, and believe in the gospel. And so the calling of of you to be holy is a calling of Jesus Christ. And he actually calls you to be like him. Here's another text to think about. Romans 8, 28. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. What is God's purpose for you in saving you? Well, verse 29, to be like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of his son, to be like Jesus Christ, in whom he did predestinate, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, those who he justified, he glorified. And what's the whole point of all that right there? It's to make you like Jesus Christ. In other words, the calling of Jesus upon your life is a calling to be Holy. It's a calling to be holy. And then last, why be holy? It's found in our last verse there, verse 16. Because it is written, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Why be holy? Because that is who God is. And he's God, and he's in charge, and if he demands it, then we obey it. And as his children, we recognize his commands are wonderful, they're delightful, and they're what we should embrace. 
Verse 16 is a quote from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And in that book, there's many ceremonial, national laws. But four times in that book, he reminds them, you should follow all of these laws as the nation of Israel. Follow these laws because I am holy. So that's a quote actually from that, that book of Leviticus. And it's given four different times. And God tells Israel, you should follow these laws. You should obey me because I'm holy. And God tells us, we should follow him. And his word, because he is a holy God. It's who he is, and it's what he demands. God wants us to be transformed to be like Jesus Christ. And I would maybe even think about it like this. What is your goal in your life? It should be to honor God. It should be to glorify him and enjoy him. But God also wants you to be holy. As you think through being a parent, as you think through being a grandparent, as you think through what it means to be a spouse, as you think through what it means to be a child, God wants you to be like Jesus Christ, which means he wants you to be set apart. He wants you to live a life of obedience. And so, what is holiness? God is set apart from everything and who he is and what he does. How can you be holy? Be who you are made to be. Be an obedient child. Don't follow your own passions. Follow the word of God as directed by the spirit of God and be what you are called to be. You're going to be like Christ. Why? Because God, that's who God is and he demands us. We recognize that God is holy. and Because of that, we say, God, I want to pursue the holiness like you have. I want to pursue the holiness of God. Is that your heart's desire? to be holy, to be set aside, to be set aside under the Lord like he is. And if that's the case, then our hearts will say, Lord, I don't want to follow my heart. I want to follow you. Would you bow your heads with me before the Lord as we come before the Lord in prayer and dependence upon him? And at the very end, I really want to have you think through what, how God is speaking to you at this time. Maybe you're in here Maybe you're on the live stream. Maybe you're without Christ. Maybe understanding the holiness of God, you recognize that you deserve judgment. And without the holiness of God applied to you, you will not see God. You will not be in eternity. As Hebrews says, let me call you today. Let me ask you today to come to Jesus Christ. Repent and turn from your own way and fall before him in faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. And I think if you're a believer in here, I'm asking you to just consider what is God calling you to do today? How can you be holy in your conduct? And so I'm going to give you a little bit of time to pray to the Lord. In fact, I'll just encourage you to do that right now. We don't have any music or anything like that, but just encourage you to go to the Lord right now in prayer. If you're a young person here, I would encourage you to commit your body and your life to the Lord in holiness. Say, Lord, my life, my body, my mind... I want it to be set apart unto you for your glory. Let's pray in the silence of this time here.
Oh Lord, I don't feel like a sermon like this can do any justice to to a description of your nature and your person. Even the word holy doesn't really encompass all of it. It just tells us really what, how different you are. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you will increase our, our love, our knowledge of you, and appreciation for how unique you are, how special you are. God, I pray that our, our awe of you will grow. We need that. We, we can't visually see your holiness, so it's, we can't fall and, and, and because of that. We can't fall before you because of that, but we can, we can understand it in the word of God. We can see the holiness of Jesus in the scripture, so God, may we fall before you in that truth as we trust it by faith. So God, I pray for our church. We, we want to be a church as a holy church. That means an obedient church, not following our passions, following you, we want to be a church that is set aside as committed to you. Our, our world is so messed up. And it's this big stream of people following their own desires. May we be set aside. May we be holy. May we be different because we're set aside and holy unto you, Lord, who is our Savior, who is our Lord. I pray for young people of this church. I mean, all of us, really, of this church. What? A strong temptation it is and will continue to be for them to be pulled away by the world, by this culture, by the values that this culture has. And so, God, I pray that they will be transformed by the renewing of their mind. May they, may they as children or teenagers or young adults, may they really have a time where they commit to you. They say, God, my life is not my own. It is yours. And then, God, I pray for those who are maybe listening, maybe some in here who don't know you. God, I pray the holiness of God will just continue to pound their heart with, with really the condemnation they deserve, but also the hope that is found in Christ. God, may it, may it cut, and then, God, may it heal. And so, God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.